Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. Guys, good? Good, good, good. Well, excited to be with you today. Uh, Can't wait for this series. I feel like this series is going to be something extremely powerful for your life. I think it's something that your neighbors and your friends would love to be a part of, so make sure that you are doing that and bringing folks to be and to worship with you. I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump right into this today. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, these amazing people called by your name. God, we love you. We give you praise and glory and honor. We ask you in the name of Jesus that you would release your spirit upon us today, that your presence would be with us in this room. Father, every single person that's watching us online, God bless them. We ask you to to, uh, release your presence upon them, your favor upon them, right where they sit, right where they are. Father, release your spirit to them and speak to them in a powerful, powerful way. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm going to throw this in there. Um, it'll go on our podcast. If you're listening to the podcast, you're probably going to flip over to YouTube and watch this because we have a number of different clips uh, that are involved in this uh, illustration today as we walk through uh, scenes from the show, The Chosen, and we're going to bring the Bible into it. A lot of the parts of the show, The Chosen, are creative expressions from filmmakers that aren't actually in the Bible. Some of them are taken from Jewish uh, history or folklore or just creativity of how maybe it would have looked or how some of the relationships may have developed. But we're going to talk about what's really in the Bible today, and we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. So this is going to be a great series. And with that, uh, let's talk about the concept of being chosen. Doesn't it feel good to be chosen? Uh, I remember being a kid and, and different sports that we would play or be in the front yard or on the playground and they would pick teams, right? And there were certain sports that I would be chosen, but no one ever chose me for basketball. Not once. No one, I was always the last one picked and I was a good athlete, but I had a misconception when it came to basketball because the problem with basketball is there's no tackling. And so I never learned how to play because I was too aggressive, and I didn't understand why can't you slap someone's hand when they're taking a shot. That's the wise thing to do. you got to make a miss, right? So I I never learned how to play because I always fouled out in school, and no one ever would pick me. And so we created our own game called Tackle Hoops. Tackle Hoops was way more fun than regular basketball because you could be aggressive, and you could put a hurting on somebody, and, you you know, we're not going to have any sissies playing Tackle Hoops. You had to be real men to play Tackle Hoops. But I, but I really, I learned, I learned about rejection as a kid. Um, I learned how to be a salesman as a kid because, you know, when you're a kid and you're middle school or high school and you're trying to ask girls out, you get turned down a lot. You deal with a lot of rejection. And so it's just one of those things where you just, you keep asking and eventually someone's going to say yes. And thank you, Jennifer, for finally saying yes after all those years of rejection that I uh, had to live with. It feels better to be chosen than it does to be rejected. Nobody likes to be rejected. But as humans, oftentimes when we are choosing, we look at the past. Uh, how about choosing a restaurant? We were on vacation with friends one time, and, and we were trying to find a place to eat, and my friend was on Yelp. And we're standing right in front of a restaurant. It looked really great. I mean, it looked really awesome. The menu looked great. And he looks on Yelp. He goes, three and a half stars. No way. Skip. 
It's got to be four stars, four and a half stars. We're not even going. And, and everything was about what someone else before us had looked at their past experiences and were choosing our restaurant. Have you ever had that moment as a married couple where your spouse uh, and you were in a conversation, you're like, hey, where do you want to eat? Oh, I don't know, babe. You choose. Okay. How about me, Cucina? I'm not in the mood for, for Mexican today. Okay, well, why don't you pick? No, 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 I want you to choose. Okay, how about North Italia? Uh, I just had Italian yesterday. Well, okay, why don't you come up with, no, 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 I want you to choose. Choosing can be so, that never happens at your house. You haven't had that experience exactly 800 million times. And finally, you get through like seven different suggestions, and then they just finally choose. Anyway, I don't want to talk about it. I'm going to have to go back to counseling again. <laughs> when you look at, when you look at um, uh, babysitters, you better, you better choose wisely when you're talking about you better look at some. You better get some references. You better look into someone's. It's important as humans when we interact with individuals, when I'm looking at someone to hire on staff, I'm looking at their past. I'm calling references. I'm trying to find out what kind of character this person has. And that's a wise thing to do because I'm just a human. And we have to look at people's past. We have to look at situations like that. But that's not how God chooses. God doesn't look at your past. In fact, can I say something so bold? God doesn't care a whole lot about your past. You don't earn your way to God. And, and, and it doesn't matter how bad your past may have been. And I'm not trying to say God doesn't care about some of the hard things you've been through. God loves you and he cares so much about you. But you don't earn your way to him. You're not chosen by God because of how good you are. You're not chosen by God because of how well you perform. See, this is one of the misconceptions with humans is that we look at how humans pick humans. And it always comes down to looking at someone's past or looking at someone's present. And we don't see the future. The Bible says about God, Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. God doesn't look at your past because God designed you. He created you. See, as, a, as an athlete and as a competitor, everything that I accomplished in my, in my sports career, I accomplished through my own efforts, my own performance. And it, it created in me a crippling effect when it came to interacting with God. Because then my spiritual life was all about my performance. I'm going to pray more than somebody else. I'm going to fast more than somebody else. I, I'm going to be holier. I'm going to abstain more than somebody else. I'm going to read my Bible more than somebody else. I'm going to be a better, I, I knew how to be a better competitor than other people. So all of a sudden, if you're not careful, you apply that to your spirituality and you become a modern day Pharisee, a rule follower who doesn't understand that this whole thing is about relationships. God says, before I, I knew you, I, I knew you in the womb before you were born, I formed you with my own hands. In Isaiah 43, one, it says that God created you. He formed you. He redeemed you. He called you by name. And you're his. See, God sees the end from the beginning. God's not looking back at your past. He's not even looking. He's not focused on your present. You could be in a horrible place uh, as far as your morality right now in your present. You know what God's looking at? Your future. 
He sees the end from the beginning. That's what the Bible says. God's able to go all the way to the end of the story, see how great you're going to become, and then come back and meet you wherever you are and help you get on track to be what he already designed you to be. It's amazing. It's amazing. We're going to take a look at a number of different uh, characters as we walk through the story of the chosen. We're going to learn from their lives. The first character we're going to look at is Mary Magdalene. See, Mary Magdalene or Mary of Magdala. Magdala was a village or is a village. Jennifer and I have actually been there. Uh, when we were in Israel last, they were excavating and they had found the original Magdala. And the homes in Magdala were mansions. It was a wealthy town. Um, the homes, at least the part of the neighborhood where they were excavating that we were able to walk uh, kind of over on these little sky bridges um, you could see that they were very large uh, homes and they actually had their own private um, uh, mitzvahs or, or bathing centers inside of the homes, which was a symbol of wealth in that time. Mary, according to scripture, is actually a wealthy woman. Uh, we don't know where that wealth came from. She's depicted in this passage uh, or in this uh, illustration in the show The Chosen as a prostitute. We don't actually know if that's the case or not. It was Pope Gregory hundreds of years ago that was the first person to actually teach that she was a prostitute, and he connected her to the sinful woman in Luke chapter 7 that washed Jesus' feet with her tears and dried the, his feet with her hair, and it was described as a sinful woman, and it was right before, literally just verses before we meet Mary Magdalene for the very first time, we see a story of a sinful woman, and in this specific situation, Jesus is there inside of this household, and Simon was a Pharisee and a wealthy person that had invited Jesus to dinner, and all of a sudden, there's this sinful woman that's there that's weeping over his feet and, and washing his feet with his tears and breaks over an alabaster box, a very expensive uh, a jar of perfume, and pours it over him and anoints him, and Simon, the Pharisee, the religious person, says, if this man was a prophet, he would know what type of a sinner is touching him. And Jesus lovingly responds to Simon the snob. I'll call him Simon the snob. And says, you know, Simon, I came in your house. You didn't offer me anything. Nobody washed my feet. Nobody took my garment. From the second this woman came in, She's taken care of me. She's washed my feet. She's dried her tears with her hair. He goes, whoever's been forgiven much, Jesus says, loves much. And he says, and I'm telling you, this woman, her sins are forgiven. Simon was blown away because he's a Pharisee. And Pharisees, all you try to do is earn your way to heaven. And Simon says, who is this that even forgives sins? And in the very next chapter, we read, Luke chapter 8, verse 2 of some of the disciples or people that were following Jesus says, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Shusa, the manager of Herod's household, very prominent. Susanna and many others, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. This lists three different wealthy women 
who were the funding um, committee for Jesus's ministry. Mary Magdalene, or Mary from Magdala, was a wealthy woman who funded Jesus's ministry. Um, there is no mention of her actually being a prostitute. She's actually mentioned 12 times in scripture by name. If your name makes it in the Bible, it's important that it's in there. Um, her name is mentioned in the New Testament, in the Gospels, more than any other woman in the Gospels except for Jesus' own mother. So in order to not have confusion, they put with her every time Mary Mag Magdalene or Mary from Magdala, and every single time she's mentioned in the Bible, it mentions that seven demons were cast out of her. So she's famous, the most famous woman in the New Testament besides Jesus' mother. She's mentioned in the Bible more than most of the apostles by name. Imagine that. Yet every time she's mentioned by a man, her past is brought up. Seven demons. Thousands of years later, her past is brought up. But that's not how Jesus thinks of her. It's not how he thought of her. It's also interesting that the creators of this show went back into Jewish folklore and they brought out a name and they called Mary Lilith. Lilith is a part of Jew Jewish tradition and folklore as a nocturnal demon that was a hunter of men and also a, a, a demon that would strangle babies when they were newborns. So this is the demon that's in charge of SIDS is what these creators have connected together according to Jewish folklore. So everyone there was calling her Lilith except Jesus. Jesus called her his. Jesus called her Mary. The word Magdala means tower, a strong tower. Mary was a powerful individual. Mary was at the cross, the last person to leave the cross, the first person to be at the tomb, the first person to see the risen Lord, and the first person to carry the message of the resurrection back to the apostles. And the apostles didn't believe her, likely because she was a woman and she was emotional in that moment. Wouldn't you be if you had just seen Jesus resurrected from the dead? See, Mary had a quality that was different and distinct than so many other type of people. What, what are the type of people that God is looking for? Second Chronicles 16, verse 9, gives us the answer to that. Gives us a depiction of who God is looking for. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Mary forsook everything. She made the purpose of her wealth the furthering of the gospel of Jesus Christ. She made the purpose of her means the worship of Jesus and the spreading of his message and the establishment of his church. She was 
fully committed. See, anyone that has an issue with a pastor talking about money in a church, anyone that has an issue with the concept of giving to move the kingdom of God forward in the earth is a person that doesn't have the quality that Mary had. Mary was fully committed. Mary's finances belonged to God. Everything she had belonged to Jesus. If she was that sinful woman, even that act, breaking open an alabaster box, it was, there were multiple times that women came and made that act of commitment. The alabaster box, the Bible says, was worth one year's wages, a massive sacrifice financially. Oftentimes, the alabaster box was a part of a woman's dowry. It meant that when they gave this, they were forgoing their whole future. They were forgoing their opportunity for marriage. They were choosing Jesus over anything else they could have leveraged themselves into in the future. Mary was fully committed. Are you fully committed? Are there areas of your life that you're holding back? As we take a deeper look into the life of Nicodemus, I want you to ponder that question. Two more different people to cast side by side than Mary from Magdala and Nicodemus. Nicodemus is, uh, was called by Jesus the teacher of Israel. What you just saw was taken from the reenactment of John chapter 3. In the conversation that Nicodemus came, Nicodemus is mentioned three times in Scripture. Imagine again, Mary is mentioned 12 by name. Nicodemus had everything. He had position. He, has, he had clout. He had wealth. He had status. He had reputation. He had influence. And he's secretly coming to Jesus at night. The first two scenes that we saw aren't actually in the Bible and they're merely a creative recreation of what must have happened as Nicodemus was searching out, as miracles begin to happen, the scholars that their entire lives were trained to look for the Messiah, and they're looking into uh, spiritual things that are happening. They, they, would, they would go and ask questions. They would go and do research. So an experience with him seeing John the Baptist in prison or for him to actually be the one that tried to cast out the demon from Mary is a creative illustration of what may have happened. But him sitting with Jesus is actually in the Bible. When Jesus talked to Nicodemus, he explained things a little differently than he did with a lot of the other people that weren't as well educated. He was speaking to a scholar. He was speaking to the teacher of Israel, someone that had an amazing amount of knowledge of the scriptures. Nicodemus, um, in, as a part of his schooling, for him to become a rabbi and a teacher, he would have gone through incredible amounts of schooling as a child. Children by the age of five would begin to learn the Torah and would memorize the entire book of Genesis. By the time they were 12, they would have memorized all five of the books, first books of the Bible, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy memorized it all. He knew the word. Yet Jesus was bringing new ideas to him, an idea called being born again. Nicodemus was the first person to ever learn of this concept of being born again, that by faith in Jesus Christ, 
Jesus said you must be born of water, meaning the baptism of repentance, but also born of spirit, which means receiving the spirit of Jesus Christ coming into your life, the Holy Spirit of God coming into your life. John the Baptist said that, that, that Jesus had, had an, a baptism that was greater than his. He said, I baptize with water, but the one coming after me will baptize with the Holy Spirit and power. So we see a different experience. We see a different illustration. Jesus begins to explain the entire thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. God didn't send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that through faith in him, the world would be saved. But then Jesus said, but men love darkness more than light. And because their deeds were evil, they would reject the one that was sent to save them. Nicodemus had lots of questions. We don't see him make a full commitment. In fact, there's nowhere in the scriptures that, that show that he made a full commitment. What we do see in scripture, the second time Nicodemus is mentioned, he's actually standing up for Jesus in front of the Sanhedrin when they were saying, we need to kill him, we need to put him to death. And Nicodemus stands up and says, well, well hold on a second. Our own law says that we should at least hear the testimony of that individual. And the Sanhedrin stood up and made fun of him. They, they said, what, are you a Galilean too? Are you his disciple as well? And Nicodemus was silenced because of his reputation because of what he might lose, because he was entangled. The third time we see Nicodemus, it isn't until Jesus has died. We see Nicodemus show up at the tomb with one of his friends who was known as the wealthiest person in Israel, Joseph of Arimathea, who owned the tomb who went and negotiated with Pontius Pilate to get the body. And Nicodemus, after Jesus died, gave 100 pounds of precious ointment for Jesus' burial. They believed in secret. They had too much influence, too much reputation, too much to lose. See, oftentimes we, we believe and we say, I believe in Jesus. But Jesus said that wasn't enough. Jesus said, it's not enough just to believe in me. Jesus said, even the demons believe, but they're not saved. The scripture declares that the only way that you're saved is by putting your faith in Jesus. To believe that he rose from the dead and to confess with your mouth that he is the Lord of all of your lives. For with the heart you believe, and with your mouth you confess. The reality is you may be in this room today, or you may be watching online today. You may be watching on YouTube a month or two from now. And you believe in him. But you're entangled. He has parts of your life, but not all of your life. I've heard it said before that if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. It's a strong statement. 
Because I, I bet that there's a lot of people in this room that have given most of their life or segments of their life to him, but not all of their life. There are some people that will give, maybe they give their finances to him and they make him the Lord of their finances, but they don't make him the Lord of their sexuality. Maybe, maybe they, they, they make him the Lord of their relationships, but they don't make him the Lord of their ambition. Mary gave her entire life. She was fully committed. Called the apostle to the apostles by scholars because she was the first one to actually, can you imagine that? In, in, a, in a day and age when women were seen as property, where women were discounted because they weren't allowed to be educated in the schools. It was boys that were allowed to be educated. Women were not allowed to be educated in most cultures around the world because they were male-dominant societies. Do you know the only nations in the world where women have opportunity and power and freedom are nations where Jesus Christ has had a massive influence in their culture. It's true. Every woman's liber should serve Jesus because he's their only hope. If it wasn't for Jesus, you'd still be property. You'd still be bought and sold and traded. But because of Jesus, you have the opportunity to have freedom whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Are you entangled? See, we, we see more of the story, and I, I want to show you one last clip of Nicodemus. And this is a clip, again, that we don't know actually happened, but we know of other stories in the Bible that this exact type of thing happened. The actual story in the Bible where there was a young Pharisee named the rich young ruler. Again, put that in contrast. His name's not even in the Bible. He was just called a rich young ruler. He came to Jesus. He said, good teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? What must I do to be perfect? Jesus said, you know the commandments, obey the commandments. He says, I've done all these since I was a child. Jesus looks at him. The Bible says Jesus looks at him and he loves him. I love that. He says, there's one thing you lack. There's one area you haven't obeyed yet. There's one place in your life you're still holding out. Sell your possessions. Give to the kingdom of God. Come follow me. And the man bowed his head and was sad. And he walked away from Jesus. And Jesus in that passage taught, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven? Harder than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. He said, in fact, without God, it's impossible. Wealthy people put their trust by default in their wealth. We, we live in, most of us are, live in Collin County, one of the wealthiest counties in one of the wealthiest states in the wealthiest nation in all the world. 
I wonder if there's one thing you lack. I wonder if there's an area of your life you may be holding out and you've given Jesus lordship over all these different places in your life. But there's one place. Maybe he's not lord over your forgiveness. Maybe you're holding on to bitterness or resentment or, or anger. Maybe he's not the lord of your emotions. Maybe he's not the lord of your habits. Maybe he's not the lord of your diet. Maybe he's not the lord of your finances. You can make him lord in so many different ways and still have a pocket of your life where you're entangled. Your pride, your reputation, your business. We, we, often, we often do that. Even, even people like myself that are tithers, Jennifer and I give between 10 and 15% or more of our income to the move into the cause of Jesus Christ. But if we're not careful, we can talk about the other 85 or 90% as if it's ours. Well, that's my money. This, this is Jesus's money. This is my, no, no, no. It's all his. It's all his. It's all his. We can talk about, oh, my church. No, 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 no. This is his church. You could talk about your business. Is it yours? Or is it his? Your children, are they yours? Or are they his? See, you can have your kids as idols in your own marriage and not even know it. And you constantly put your kids before the kingdom. You put your kids before worship, you put your kids before your spouse. And you can watch all kinds of other parts of your life fall apart because you're entangled. Those are his kids. It's his business. It's his finances. It's his relationships. Because they're with his people. Oh man, the Lord has busted my chops a few times for how I have felt and things I've said about his kids. How sometimes his kids can be jerks, can't they? I'm like, God, deal with your kid. He's your kid, not my problem. Deal with your kid. Your kid's a jerk. He's like, don't curse my kid, Joel. That's my kid. Jesus picked you. He chose you. But the Bible is very clear. It says many are called, few are chosen. And in, in the first chapter of the book of John, John the beloved writes and says that he has given us the right to choose to be sons, to be daughters of God. You have to choose. You have to choose. He has chosen you, but you have to choose. You get to choose to be chosen. I'm going to ask you just to wherever you are, just to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit just to allow his creativity to run rampant in your mind.
I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to bring up, just to put an image or to put uh, some type of a picture inside of your mind of any area that you might be holding back from Jesus. Any pocket of your life. A place where you're holding on to unforgiveness. A place where you're holding on to gossip. A place where you're holding on to gluttony. A place, a place where you're holding on to sickness. We can make sickness part of our identity. A place that you're holding on to greed. A place that you're holding on to control. I'm going to ask you this question. Are you willing to give that to him? Jesus is waiting. Just like depicted in that video. He's got one more friend. One more friend he's waiting on. Don't let Jesus say of you today, he came so close. Oh, he came so close. Go all the way today. Be fully committed today. Lay down that thing at the altar today. We're going to go a little old school here in a second. And um, I'm going to invite you to the altar. We've created space and we've created time for this. We're going to go back into worship. We've got a beautiful song that we're going to sing. But, but I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to come right down here to the altar because the Lord has showed me couple things that I need to lay down. And I'm curious if there's anybody else courageous enough to join me. Courageous enough to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go all the way. Father, I want to be fully committed. I don't want anything left in my life. Uh, well, I, I, you showed me an image. Maybe it was a habit. Maybe it was a hobby. Maybe it was an attitude. I don't know. But God showed you something where he's not Lord. I'm, I'm just not going to let you out of it easy today. I'm going to make you walk the aisle. Because we can't care about reputation. But what would people think? Guess what? I'm the first one down here. I don't care what you think. I care what Jesus thinks. And I want to be fully committed. Pray this prayer with me. Say this. Say, Father, I need you in my life. I'm sorry for the areas I've held back. I'm sorry for the places I've not been fully committed, for where I've allowed myself to be entangled and ask you to forgive me. I believe in you, Jesus. I give my life to you, all of it. I ask you to forgive me. Believe that you rose from the dead. You're coming back again. You've given me your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Fill me with your power. Give me your supernatural gifts. Today, I make Jesus Christ the Lord of my entire life. Amen. 
We pray this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks for listening and have a great week.